inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. On Radio Western. Good morning. Welcome to Outlook today on Radio Western or as a podcast after the fact. And we're back on a Monday or what? What day is it anyway, Brian? Yeah, what day is it? Sometimes these days it's hard to keep track of everything. But uh, yeah, we're actually back now this week again to another pre-record, which care, we haven't done one of those in a while. We've been in the studio quite a bit, so it's always a bit of a different feel, but I, I like it in its own way. And yeah, it's currently the 12th of July in 2022. And everyone's maybe out enjoying the summer at the moment, but uh, maybe you'll have a bit of time to listen or listen once it's the middle of winter, if it's a podcast you're listening to. And we'll talk to our guest today about how the summer has been going. And speaking of that guest, let's just introduce her and get started, Brian. <laughs> our guest today is Victoria Francis. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for coming on Outlook with us. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. And where are you calling in from, Victoria? Uh, I'm calling in from Sudbury, Ontario, Canada at the moment. Uh, that's where I live. And, and, and for people who aren't familiar with the province or the area, like, where is that or give a ballpark? How long does it take you to get back to it? Because you're not, it's not a big city, is it? How many people, I'm not sure, live there, but. Uh, it's approximately 61,000. So yeah, it's, it's not a, a huge city. It's, it has a nice feel. It's a, approximately uh, five or uh, five to five and a half hours north of Toronto. Right. And you have family sort of in Toronto there, right? So you, you travel back and forth a fair bit throughout the year. So you know, you'd know. And I, I don't think I've been to Sudbury. I'm not sure. Yeah, you, you should come sometime. It's, it's really, uh, it's, well, I shouldn't say it's really nice. In, in the winter, it's very cold, but uh, <laughs> in the summer, it's, it's quite nice. Like, we didn't reach the 30s yet in terms of temperature. It's nice. still in the 20s. It's quite cool. Mm -hmm. I think we should kind of start maybe by letting our listeners know that we've, we've, we've kind of known of you for, for a long time, though we've only really gotten connected more so over the past four or five years since we have been more involved with, with the blindness community. And, and the CFB and just getting more involved in and making more connections. But through growing up, we, we knew about you through a, f a good friend of ours, Stephen Potter, who's been on this show a few times now, I think. And uh, so we'd always kind of heard about you. You guys, you both went to the W. Ross School in Brantford, which we'll get into here in a bit later. But yes. just to give our listeners a bit of an idea that, and I'm sure maybe in, in your case too, you'd heard our, us mentioned. Uh, yes, yes, definitely. Uh, Steve has mentioned you guys as well um, before, I think. I got introduced to Carrie on Facebook maybe five years ago or something. Uh, and I know I met you guys at the airport uh, at an NFB convention or maybe that, I, I don't know, actually, that part is a bit fuzzy, but I definitely did hear of you guys uh, growing up. Uh, Steve really talked highly of you guys. And then, yeah, I, I met you guys through the CFB. Yeah, I was going to say, we heard of you through the grapevine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say, yeah. Um, but no, the, the fact that you mentioned the, the, the NFB convention there, Victoria, I think that was really interesting because, yes, we actually did. We might have actually brought this up once on the show before because we've had Patrick Bouchard on the show, who you know, and that's how we met him for the first time, too. We were leaving the, the NFB convention in, in 2018 from Orlando, 
And at the airport when we left, we didn't we didn't run into you, either of you the entire time we were there, I don't think. Yeah. But we were in the airport flying home and there's, you know, after that big convention, so many blind people are looking for flights. And so we ended up kind of together as we were all kind of getting some some direction from from guides at the airport. And and that's kind of where we ran into each other. And we're like, oh, we're, we're flying back to Ontario as well. And uh, so it was, it was quite an interesting uh, circumstance to, to connect again there. And it's been uh, been great to stay connected since. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and we'll talk a bit about the convention because it's National Federation of the Blind and talking about advocacy, which is what our show is often about here. Uh, and uh, I think they just wrapped up their uh, convention for the year um, last week or just a few days ago, I guess. And so uh, I don't know. So we'll get to that. But yeah, we wanted to sort of start um, <laughs> earlier on. And uh, so I guess, have you always been blind? That's correct, right? Yes, that is correct. Um, I was born with retinopathy of prematurity, ROP, as it's uh, often called for short. And so uh, for those who don't know, that that means I got too much oxygen in the incubator. Uh, I have a twin brother. His name is Richard. And uh, we were born two months premature. So I guess they had to compensate and give us uh, oxygen in the incubator and it, it affected our eyes. So uh, yes, I, I was born blind. Yeah, and a lot of people have, um, that's why a lot of people end, end up blind, at least more commonly back back then, you know, in the 80s and, and before, it was a common thing. And I think maybe they have other ways now of mitigating that stuff. But yeah, that was a common thing when you're premature like that. And yeah, I mean, Brian and I joke all the time that we're twins, but we aren't. We're three years apart. So it's fun to talk to twins. Uh, I always think that's funny. And uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I've heard over the, over the years that how close you and your brother are have been uh, in your lives and so yes nice, sure. nice that you have each other in that way yeah because we often do talk about that how you know i don't i definitely don't take it for granted but sometimes i i do almost forget that you know not every blind person out there has a sibling and it's we always talk on the show about making connections and and learning skills by by uh knowing others in the community but in in, my, in our situation we were kind of lucky and, and for you too victoria where you had that already um, in your family, whereas, you know, it's not really the case for a lot of people. So I don't know what yes. your situation's kind of been like with that, but I think in, in our situation, it's definitely helped a lot. Yes, it's the same here, Brian. It's, it really has helped uh, because we grew up with similar experiences. I, I feel like he is on both sides because he has enough vision to function uh, and use it, but he also knows what it's like to be blind because sometimes he can't see things far away or things like that. So, and we did go to the same school. I, I know we'll probably get to school and stuff after, but uh, yeah, we, we pretty much lived our lives with the same connections. Like because of both being blind, we made, uh, we have a lot of mutual friends and stuff like that. So it, it, it really does help and it, it makes my life more rich. And we have a lot in common as siblings. Yeah, I didn't realize that it's like me and Brian, we don't see we're not, you know, we're not the same level of blindness, uh, you know, and so I didn't realize how much sight he had. And and do you have any other siblings then, or is it just, just you and the brother? Uh, yes, I do. I have a sister, Simone. She's 10 years older than the two of us, so she would be 46 right now. It's hard to believe, because uh, we're 36, and she is fully sighted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Brian and I have two older siblings as well, who've been on this show before, and so it gives a nice mix in the family, and uh, you can still be close with all your siblings, but it just it uh, gives some variety. I'm sure it was, yes. you know, for your parents yes. and for all of you. 
Exactly. So is all your family, the rest of your family then in Toronto or are they sort of spread out? Uh, yes, actually, they stayed in Toronto. My uh, brother is uh, in Toronto as well. He, he lives and works there. Uh, uh, and my sister lives and works there. She is married and she has a husband and son. And, and my mom and dad are also there. Uh, so I, I was there until about four years ago. And now I live on my own. And that's another thing I definitely want to get into later on is, is living independently as a, as a blind person, because all three of us here on, on the show today, we, we all live by ourselves. So it's, it's one of those things that it's, uh, it, it takes a lot to get used to. And I know, I know for you, Victoria, that's, that's a pretty good distance away from, from your family. But luckily, like you, you do get a lot of chances to go back and visit, but it's always an adjustment. So we'll get into that for sure. Um, but I thought before we get into kind of the, the school years and stuff like that, could you maybe just speak to our listeners a little bit about, about um, your culture? Because you were born here. Were you born in Canada or, or what sort of was the background there? Because actually, for listeners who may have been listening to the show in the past, we actually played a diversity panel that we put together last year. Actually, Carrie, I, sh I shouldn't be taking credit here. Carrie really did, did a fantastic job with that diversity panel at the, the CFB convention in 2021. And Victoria was on that panel and she, we actually played that episode um, last year on, on Outlook. So you can look up diversity in Monopoly and, and find that episode. But uh, yeah, if you could just maybe speak a little bit to, to uh, culture and, and how that's affected your life. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and Carrie, you did do a great job on that, uh, organizing that panel. That, that was amazing. Uh, yeah, it, it was great. I, I was born in uh, Doha, Qatar. So that's in the Middle East. It's part of the United Arab Emirates. Uh, so I was born there in 1985. And my parents, they, they were working there at the time. We are actually Indian, but I happened to be born there because my parents uh, were working there for 17 years. So my brother and I were born uh, in Qatar. Uh, we lived there for seven years, and then we moved here to Canada in 1992. So I would I identify as an Indian Canadian straight woman. Uh, that's that's really and blind, of course. So that that's really how I identify. Yeah, we talk on the show about intersectionalities because. You know, that's the world we live in. And for a long time, a lot of that stuff just was sort of denied people. And, you know, it, it was hard. People didn't understand other people's cultures. And, and so it's, it's important that we talk about that stuff, although we focus specifically about disability here and blindness. But uh, thanks for sharing that part of things, because all of this stuff affects who we are. None of it is all of who we are. Uh, it just it's all elements of who we are. I guess we could talk, go in talking to, about school now. Um, did you always go to a school for the blind or did you ever go to a, a sighted school? Uh, so interestingly, I did go to the sighted school for the first, uh, from grades one until uh, grade seven. Oh. Uh, I was in a mainstream, a mainstream school in Toronto. And uh, that I was there with my brother. We both were put in the same school. And uh, after grade seven, we, I guess our parents made the decision for us, and we didn't mind at that point. Uh, we got transferred to the W. Ross McDonald School for the Blind in Brantford, Ontario, uh, from grade seven till uh, the end of grade 12. I, I graduated from there. Hmm. So yeah, that, that's where I went to school. So I had some of both, mostly right. the blind school, though. Right, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Nice yeah. mix. And that's great, right? Not everybody did one or the other, and, uh, you know, I guess, um, 
it gives you a different perspective. And, you know, e schools for the blind are their own sort of unique environments. And a lot of people thrive there. Uh, and it's best for some people to be there. And Brian and I have the discussion a lot. And, you know, we really try to keep an open mind because we didn't have that experience. We'd visited that school a few times over the years. But, you know, were you a, a day student or were you a resident student there? I was a resident student. It was quite an adjustment at first uh, because I was used to, you know, going to day school and then going back home every day. And then they put us in, I guess I was, I don't know, 11 or 12, something like that when I, I went to W. Ross. Uh, and I, I did like the fact that I went to sighted school first because I found that, uh, well, I, I don't know, I'm sure this is a whole different topic on its own, but there were merits to going to the blind school and there were also merits to going to the sighted school. And I was glad that I was introduced to that first. But I, I was a resident student at W. Ross. Hmm. Yeah, and what a time to start. I mean, I'm sure any time is an adjustment, but you know, you're just, you know, pre-teenager, you're in pre-teen years there and there's I'm sure a lot, you know, going on and you know, what a what a transition I'm sure that was and it it was Carrie and I was also going through a bit of well, I mean, a, a culture shock to some extent cuz it was still uh, I was getting used to living in Canada right. uh, where it was cold outside and uh like I'm trying to think there are there are other things probably and that the food was different and just the way that people talked were different than uh, I was used to in Qatar, especially the weather, though. I remember uh, being very shocked moving from a really hot climate to a, a very cold one in the winter anyway. So I, I was very shocked. Uh, and, and that kind of uh, compounded with my homesickness when I went to W. Ross. So at mm. first it wasn't a great experience, but uh, I adjusted. Mm -hmm. And Brian, and I don't know a lot about different, those certain parts of the world that we've never been in. D did they have snow ever where you were growing up? Or like you hear the people who come to Canada who've never really seen snow. And so I was. Yeah, I was one of those, Carrie. There was, there was no snow. It was very hot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, was, I was used to that. And then uh, we, I remember when we first came to Canada, it was uh, my brother told me like, oh, there's this stuff on the ground and all. And then I could feel it, of course, when I walked on it. Mm -hmm. uh, with my feet and with my cane, once I learned to use a cane, that is. Uh, but before that, I remember um, being very shocked. I, I didn't know what snow was and I, I wanted to eat it. And I, I remember the, the teacher said, well, don't eat it because like, you know, it's not, it's, yes, it's falling from the sky, but, uh, you know, people are stepping in it and we, we don't know what's in it. So you don't want to eat that. I remember being told, <laughs> so they told me don't eat it. So I didn't. Maybe put your tongue out to catch some flakes, I guess. Yeah, I've heard people that people do that sometimes. But uh, <laughs> yeah, on the ground, though, it is such an interesting sort of texture. And yeah, if you've never come across it before, it would be a, an interesting experience for sure. And I just I think it's so great to get outlooks from from someone like you, because for Carrie and I, we talk a lot about on the show how, you know, we've had quite the experiences in our lives with with different things. But we've always been in this same southwestern Ontario area for our entire lives. We've always went to the the same schools kind of growing up, never switched to the school in Brantford. So like just so many different different changes that that would take a lot of adjusting. But at the same point, when you are when you go through that kind of stuff in life a lot, you do also sort of get probably pretty good at sort of adjusting and it being adaptable and, and fitting into these situations. But still, it could be um, difficult at the time, I imagine. Yes, you're right. I did have social adjustment issues. And I also don't know, like, it seems like these days, like, 
diversity and these things are being talked about more and more, but I, I don't know. It's hard to know because I'm a different age, obviously, in my mid-30s compared to the 90s, but I feel like back then, like, that stuff wasn't maybe talked about even as much, so I don't know if you've noticed kind of that in any way um, throughout your life, but it just makes me kind of wonder. It's back, you know, almost 30 years ago now, pretty much, in the, in the 90s there. Yes, I, I did notice that, too. Uh, but what I did notice was uh, when, unfortunately, we... Like, well, my brother was bullied because he was like halfway between sighted and blind. And I was bullied not because I was blind, but because, uh, you know, even even now, like uh, I do have an accent. But at the time, like my accent was really strong. So I guess people uh, like kids used to make fun of me, not people. Kids used to make fun and they used to, I guess, I don't know. I guess there were not a lot of people with brown skin at our school. I'm thinking back because... Uh, they, they used to call us like names like Paki and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which yeah. I did not like because we were not from Pakistan. I know it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so ignorant, but it's, you know, children are children and, and no matter kids will find if they're going to pick on someone, they'll find whatever they can to sort of pick at. But it's like, where do they learn such things? You know, a child doesn't just learn that word and to use that specific term for somebody who's not even from that region, such a ignorant thing that adults, you have to figure uh, putting that in their heads. Yes, that's what I thought too. I'm just gonna say thanks for talking about this stuff with us because, you know, we really try to be respectful of culture on this show and other, you know, intersectionalities, as I was saying, because, you know, so much of the world is harsh and is not so respectful. And, you know, it's not always easy to talk about. And, you know, whether it's racism or sexism or ableism or whatever it is, you know, these things, if you don't deal with it, you might be able to say, oh, it's not really that bad. But, you know, until you experience it up close, you, you don't really know. Yeah, I agree. And thanks for giving me the chance to briefly mention that because it, it was a part of, you know, things that I dealt with growing up. Uh, even if it wasn't the adults, it was still uh, like, you know, and I knew to some extent kids were just saying what they heard, but still like, I don't know, kids learned to be mean somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were using that word constantly and they knew. and like we said to them, you know, we're not from Pakistan. Not not like it's a bad thing to be. It's just we wanted yeah. to tell them, you know, don't use that word uh, to refer to us. But they would still do it. Mm-hmm. That, that's how they saw brown people, I guess. Yeah. Right. So so kind of tying that all into the school at the time. So did that kind of the the unfortunate bullying and stuff, was that partly the reason for or like kind of what was the... Do you kind of know what the reason was from for switching from the, the school in, in Toronto there to the... W. Ross and Brantford? Uh, yes, that's a great question, Brian. Uh, part of it was the bullying, because uh, at the time, my brother and I didn't know how to handle it, and we were overwhelmed. And I remember, like, especially my brother, like, he got, unfortunately, physically assaulted a lot, too. Like, he got beaten up and stuff by the other kids. I was just verbally bullied. But uh, so the bullying was part of it. And the other part was I did learn Braille, and I learned. O&M, because they had the itinerant teachers, they had the Metrovision program that they would come and give us training uh, and stuff like that. But my parents felt like we could get more blindness-specific training at W. Ross in terms of life skills and uh, like extensive training in orientation and mobility and maybe more Braille and uh, stuff that our parents didn't feel like they knew how to teach us. Well, of course, they... They couldn't teach us the orientation and mobility, but even the life skills, they, they felt ill-equipped to teach us. So they thought that W. Ross could do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's a decision that parents you know, have to make. And 
you know, I'm not a parent, so I don't know what what it what it's like. But to make you to make sure your children are as well prepared for, you know, their future as they as you, as they can be, is it's a a choice. And again, we talk about uh, you know the kind of teachers that are we're getting, and depending on what school board you're from, and I guess you called um, you call it Metro Vision. I guess is it more of a program in the Toronto area, maybe? Yes, it it was. It probably mm -hmm. still exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked to a few people who were um, sort of in the Toronto school boards in the 70s and earlier than, than, you know, our generation. And so some of those programs were coming into existence at that point. But, you know, different school boards, different places that you get different attention and uh, training and, 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 you know, learn different skills. But, uh, you know, it's, it's great that everything sets you up for kind of the life you live now. And we'll get again to that second half a bit more, as we said. But it's nice because, you know, people who don't know about blindness, they might assume that no blind person lives on their own. You must need to live with family and, and uh, it's not necessarily yeah. the case. So. Yes, exactly. It, it really isn't the case. Uh, and, and I guess the good thing about my parents, Carrie and Brian, are that they set the expectations high in the sense th they always knew that, like, even when they moved us here to Canada, they, they knew that they wouldn't or they didn't have all the answers in terms of uh, giving us blindness training and equipping us with the skills, but they were really keen on uh, finding us the right support because they didn't want us to just be blind people who always lived with them and, uh, you know, didn't like really didn't exercise their full potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's always great to hear. And it's it, it's a tricky thing, you know, like Carrie said already, like not being a parent myself, it would be I don't know how I would how I would handle it if, if, if you know, my ch child was blind and, and what the decisions I would make. But it can also be a, a, a cultural thing, right? Blindness in different cultures can be, can be difficult. So it's, uh, it, it's nice to see that, that your parents were, you know, forward thinking like that and did, really did sound like they, you know, they wanted to give you the best opportunities that they could. And, you know, we can't, we can't always do everything we, we want to do. We don't always have time or, or the skills. So to be able to, to give you the right tools or opportunities to, to go to the places you needed to be to learn those skills and, and, and have those tools is, uh, it's great to see because, you know, every parent, I think, pretty much wants the best for their children, but it's not always easy. So it's, uh, yeah, I agree. I'm not a parent either. And I, I definitely can't imagine what was involved, but I knew that, you know, they were happy in Qatar. They had good jobs. Uh, they didn't move us here because they, you know, were, we're not doing well over there. They they simply were forward thinking, like you said, and they really wanted me and my brother to have a chance to live our best lives. So then, how about W. Ross? I mean, like as, as I said, we try to have discussions about you know integration versus you know schools for the blind, and you know there are fewer schools for the blind in Canada now than there used to be, and there ever were, uh, and there are a lot of them in the states. Uh, so once you sort of adjusted to that new way of being. A student what what was your experience at that school like for the years you were there like what what where did you thrive what did you like about it and then i would almost maybe also want to quick add into that comparing it to and obviously you were in younger grades there but comparing it to your experience at the school in toronto maybe also like what was maybe you talked earlier about the like most things in life there's pros and cons to everything and what maybe was a pro of the of of one versus a con and then and then the same go, going for the other Yes, that, those are great questions, and I, I relish the chance to talk about this because, uh, yeah, there aren't there aren't many opportunities to voice that these days. It's either people say like that W. Ross was the best, or or there are other people who really like hated it. But I was in the middle. 
I, I liked it. I had a good experience there. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you the pros and the cons of the sighted school. The, the, I know I was there for the younger grades, but one advantage to being in the sighted school was I learned how to keep a quick academic pace, which unfortunately became my downfall at W. Ross because uh, I guess while I was there, um, I, was, I was in a class with people, you know, who, who maybe weren't um, like maybe didn't uh, study at the same level or, or weren't used to that quick pace because they started there from their young childhood. So in a sense, I felt like I was held back academically at the blind school, which I knew because I'd been to sighted school, even though it was for the younger grades, I knew that we should be getting more homework. And it was a bit of a, a shock to me to go to W. Ross and have like pretty much be taught like a repeat of what I was taught at the other school. Like, cause they, they weren't, I guess they weren't familiar with my level. So they still had to assess and, and, you know, they couldn't tailor the, uh, like curriculum to each student. So they did, in my opinion, have to move slower. Mm -hmm. So that was the pro of sighted school, um, that, that I got, you know, a good academic grounding. And I, I kind of got an expectation as to how well I should do or, what, what I should strive for when it comes to being a student or when it came to being a student. Uh, and the, the pro of the con of the sighted school was, uh, I feel like there was only one other blind child there in the school and we didn't, I, I didn't really know her that well. Um, I, I'm not sure we, we just didn't form a connection. So other than meeting people at Metrovision gatherings, I was not really too familiar with other blind children. And, you know, I wanted to be because I, I never had been before. In Qatar, it was just me and my brother. We never hung out with other blind children. So that was the con of the sighted school. And that, uh, that was the something I really enjoyed at W. Ross uh, was being able to connect with other blind children. Yeah, because, I mean, what I want is for us to have more open discussions. And that's why I wish we could have more talks about, you know, like you say, wh why was the program the way it was at the School for the Blind? Like, is it that they didn't have the same expectations for blind children? Like, what? I don't even know. I wasn't there, so I, I'm not going to say. It's like, you know, of course, even in, in any school, nowadays they're trying to tailor programs because they're realizing that children are all different and we all learn different and kids need different things. But that can, that can be really hard, too, because it's hard to, you know, you know meet every child where they need to be and, what, and give them what they need especially when there's classes that are, you know, bigger size, whereas at W. Ross, I know it was always sort of smaller class sizes. Uh, but, I, you know, things would have changed over the decades and many decades the school has been open. And I just, I wonder why that always was. I mean, we'd hear sort of stories with our friend Steve who went there and, and you just yeah. sort of wondered about that. And I don't, I don't know. Yes, uh, I, I still wonder about it. And I did go there. You know, I wonder what, I don't know, like, I, I wonder if they just didn't have the same expectations or now I found this changed in high school considerably. So I, I will give them that. Uh, when I got into high school, it was a lot easier to uh, like, I guess, I, I think the teachers realized with me that I wanted to pursue academia and that, that I, I was really serious about it and that I, I wanted to do well and thought it could benefit me in the future. So they started really meeting me at that level. So, you know, I, I started getting that in high school, but grade seven and eight or six, seven and eight, I, I think, okay, so it's questionable. I, I think I came 
uh, went to W. Ross at grade seven age, but they held me back a year. And I think uh, for me, I don't think it was academic. It was because they said I was having social adjustment issues, like I guess getting along with other kids. And I, I don't know. Hmm. So they, they held me back to try and uh, like correct some of those things. And I, I think I would have preferred if they had moved me forward academically, but that I could have gotten social counseling from the social worker who was at W. Ross. I think she could have worked with me and I could have still been, uh, you know, not held back a year. It does seem like something academic that that should kind of be separate in, in, from, the, from the social stuff. And like, yeah, they could have maybe still found a way to work on the, the social stuff uh, um, alongside while, you know, still putting you kind of in the level that you're at. Because I know the feeling too, like there was times in high school where like, you know, sometimes an applied class would be more readily available than another one and some people would be like oh you could just take the apply but it was like that wasn't my level so you know there's kind of nothing kind of worse sometimes than being you feel like you're you know at a certain level and then you're kind of going through things you've already done and and it's I don't know it's interesting to kind of look back on I guess but yeah for anyone who has been listening or just tuned in we're speaking today on Outlook with Victoria Francis from Sudbury Ontario And we're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be right back with more of today's episode. Outlook. On Radio Western. Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook on Radio Western, either live on Radio Western or as a podcast. Uh, We are talking with Victoria Francis, and she currently lives in Sudbury, Ontario. Uh, grew up in the Toronto area, went to school in Brantford uh, at the School for the Blind. And before the break, we were talking about that. Uh, so I guess, Victoria, you were sort of saying some of the other benefits of going to that school. And um, if you want to tell us what that was kind of and then how you uh, adjusted when you sort of finished and were heading into that the world again. Fun time when high school's over and we're all like, oh, shoot, oh, yeah. now what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so the one really big benefit I received from attending W. Ross was that in high school, they taught me a lot of life skills that I I use today. Uh, I I live on my own now. I didn't right away after high school, but honestly, they taught me things like um, doing laundry, like budgeting when doing grocery shopping, uh, actually doing the grocery shopping. So going to the store, asking for help, uh, you, you know, getting like the They wouldn't always go with us either. Like I lived in a house at W. Ross. It was called the Troughton House. And it was a house with six girls, including myself. And um, what we learned there was all those skills, how to make meals, like how to cook, how to clean the house, all all that stuff. And we were expected to keep up to a routine. And I, I feel like we really got great support learning the things and then practicing them. So the staff backed off and they, you know, after they, showed us how to do it because I had none of those skills, unfortunately, coming from, um, you know, my parents were well-meaning, but they didn't know how to teach me. So really, I, I, went to, I went to the house with none of those skills. My mom, you know, always did the cleaning, always cooked. I, I never had the self-initiative, like the self-direction to ask for help or no, to ask to do more, more stuff. So I, I just kind of let it be done for me. But I did have the foresight to say, hey, I want to, when I heard about the house program, I said, I want to apply and I want to be part of it because I do, I know I need to learn these things. And my mom, you know, she tried to teach me 
like how she cooks and stuff like that. My mom is a great cook, but she does things a sighted way or what I call the sighted way because, you know, it's not modified for me. And I can't really think of any examples at the moment, but, you know, there are lots of things, as, as we know, when we, we cook and, and clean that are easier for us to do it in a certain way. And my mom, you know, didn't know that. So uh, pretty much W. Ross taught me all that. I lived in the house for two years and I lived in the apartment, which was just me and one other girl in my final year. Oh, so it really, I, I came out of W. Ross having all those household skills to be able to live independently. And I was good at that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a bit of, I mean, you're doing it still in high school, but it reminds me of like you, you hear a lot of universities and specifically in the States and stuff like it's almost like you were in a girl's all sor female sorority house or something, but in high school and yeah. and yeah, you get to take care of your own and sort of affairs during the evenings and, and, and things. And that's, you know, it's different than growing than I assume staying in, the, in like the residence in the school that like the, the younger kids did. Would always yes, do. It, it was a lot different because we got to cook dinner and breakfast. Well, uh, yeah, dinner and breakfast and a lunch we would have in the dining room. Mm. Uh, in my last year, I decided to kind of be a rebel and stop showing up for, for lunch in the dining room. I just went back to the apartment and, and no one cared. It was fine. But uh, it, it was a very good experience. And then when I went to university, I was ahead of some of my sighted um, like roommates when it came to doing stuff. Like I actually showed one girl how to do laundry, which I was pretty proud of because, you know, I'm blind, she sighted. And I, it was something I had learned at W. Ross, so I knew how to do my own laundry. And I guess uh, even though she could see, her mom was still doing that stuff. So when we went to university together, she was like, I have no idea how to do laundry, you know. And I was like, I do. I can help you. So we, we had kind of a bonding over that a little bit. I learned it at school for the uh, guide dog school when I was 14, kind of. But True. Okay. So everyone has sort of, I guess, a different experience in that. But how you point out with showing a, a sighted person laundry, like, just because, you know, even sighted kids don't, don't really know how to cook or do laundry and stuff when they get out on their own. The only difference I'll say is that for blindness, and you probably might agree with this, I just feel like it does take a little, you know, it's going to take a little bit more effort than the average person to sort of find everything, even though it's a struggle for anyone, I think, at that time. Yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, separate it that much. But to be, to be honest, I think it's definitely different. So to already have some skills, un like, figured out before you go into that, I think it would just make the experience less overwhelming because there'd be less adjustments. Whereas if you're doing everything at once, I just think it's, it's, it's a lot. And uh, so, yeah, that sounds like a, yes, definitely a great right. opportunity. That you I, I agree with that. Uh, one of the least stressful parts of transitioning to university was the household part because I was living in an apartment with one other girl. It was an on-campus apartment, but it was still a, a full apartment. Uh, you know, with the kitchen and all that. So it was, uh, we had communal laundry facilities. So th that was the least stressful part because, you know, I had just graduated from W. Ross and those things were fresh in my mind. And I, I had, you know, uh, lived in the apartment the year before. So I was very well equipped in that sense to go to university. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I guess jumping into the university thing, where did you, where did you go to school and um, what kind of stuff did you study and what was the access? So we talked a bit about this, you know, living out independently stuff, but what about accessibility um, for post-secondary once you're sort of out of the, the, you know, high school environment? Yeah. Okay. So I went to the University of Ottawa first for my bachelor uh, BA in psychology and then uh, for my MSW in social work. Uh, so I, I did those both at the University of Ottawa. It took about six years to do in total, like the four years undergrad and the two years 
post uh, and the accessibility. So that's an interesting one. It was mostly very good, but when I had to take the statistics courses that were required, uh, we ran into a problem because not only did I have comprehension difficulty because I'm not the best at math, but on top of that, there were some accessibility issues. Uh, like I was not initially given my textbook in Braille and I, I didn't need any other textbooks in Braille. I was fine with audio, but the math I did because I just find it easier to do math in Braille. Mm -hmm. So I had to like uh, advocate for that a lot. So the first time <laughs> I'll, I'll be, I'll be very candid here on your show. And I'll tell you the first time I, I failed stats one because <laughs> I, I was not, you know, it, it, it is pretty shameful, but I was, I was not uh, uh, adequately prepared. So I had comprehension difficulty, not a great tutor. He would always kind of just do his own thing. Didn't pay too much attention to me. And then mm. on top of that was the accessibility and how, uh, I didn't get the book in Braille and I didn't know how to advocate at the time. I had to learn that because at W. Ross, I was given everything in Braille. Um, like I had back in the day, you know, I didn't, I used the computer a little bit, but I brailed a lot of stuff and, and they would, th th those teachers were like really, really good because they could read Braille and they could mark our stuff. But I digress. I, I learned, I was given everything. I did not have to advocate at the blind school. And when I went to university, I did. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to do this. So I let myself fail stats one for the first time. And then the second time I took it, because I also needed stats two and three. So I thought, okay, there has to be, I have to get better at this. I have to like, you know, learn to ask for what I need. So I did. And I, I did get through it the second time with a satisfactory mark. Still not the best mark, but it was okay. I just wanted to point out that I bet there are tons of people who don't pass uh, that that course the first time. I've, I I don't know someone specific that I can point to, but I'm sure I've heard that that can be a tough one for some people who maybe they want to study psychology because they like every other course, but maybe they aren't the best in math. And of course, that's a that's a you know a needed part of the program. You know, people have to take those courses, but not everybody's. You know, I, I imagine that some people struggle with it, not just you. Yeah. So you know that's why I failed and the advocacy part. So I. Uh, right, I, yeah. I really did learn to ask for what I need. And I said, I would, I don't know how you guys are going to get it, but it's important that I have the book in Braille because when I'm doing math, I need to be able to like read the, I don't know. It's, I wouldn't say it's visual because I can't see, but I, I need to be able to still read like the, the brackets and all that, that JAWS doesn't necessarily do for me. Yeah. I mean, I, it's been, you know, almost 20 years since I've had a, taken a math class in I've I've never used it in the digital age, so I can't imagine. Like in a way, it sounds neat that you would you could maybe do it with a Braille display or something now. But I've just I've only ever done it in Braille, and it is you know it is the spatial having it actually on the page for math that that yeah. makes it a little bit more doable, I think. And it's definitely seems like it would be a harder. I always think math and and French were the two courses growing up that I always yes thought be harder to do without with uh without Braille, but um. But I can also expect that like uh, coding is harder if you're just listening, if you can't, if you can't access tactile Braille when you're blind to be listening because of all the, you know, dashes and different symbols and things. It's, it's something you have to be able to feel under your fingers or, you know, see with your eyes. Um, but how we do that with Braille is you're, you're taking it in with your fingers and, and, and then your brain processes that. So, yeah, I, you know, I think it's difficult and we're, we're all kind of on the cusp of the technology age here and. Uh, so things were were changing rapidly for whatever, you know, year or grade you might have been in when things sort of moved ahead with all the technology. 
Yeah. So how else, how else did you do, uh, you know, how else were your, how, how were your college years otherwise? Oh, the college years were fun. And I, I did well in school because I really applied myself and I decided that this was something I want to try. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to work with people and uh, perhaps, well, I, I knew I wanted to uh, be a social worker at, at first, like the, in high school, I, I didn't know uh, what I would do with my psychology degree. I thought I would get a master's in psych as well. But like then I learned that in order to do like uh, there was some reason I didn't do it. And, and I don't I don't remember what that is now. But then I, I transitioned to social work because that also encompassed psychology. But the years were good. Like I learned to advocate. Uh, I, I continued to, you know, uh, keep up with my skills for living alone now. The orientation and mobility, <laughs> that's another story. So I, I know I'm kind of, you know, touting some of the things I came through well, but that part was a struggle because I don't, I don't know. So O&M is a challenge for me, continues to be, but I'm really working on it actively now. But during the college years, I had an instructor who, uh, I don't know, she, she kind of like uh, thought that it wasn't her job to teach me this or that, or I, I don't know. She put a lot of the responsibility on me when I feel like she could have helped. Uh, it was my job to practice, but you know, I was bad enough at O&M. Okay. I'm, I'm not horrible, but I have directional challenge. Like I get turned around easily and I have to be able to problem solve out of that stuff like that. So that presented a problem because at W Ross, I had weekly O&M training, but I wished it could have been more intense because when I got out into the world, the college world and needed to go place on my own a lot more, uh, I, I was kind of, I struggled. So I had O&M training, but, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was a challenge for me to, to be independent in terms of O&M and getting, like learning my way to and from my classes, but also I wanted to learn the city of Ottawa a little bit. And uh, I didn't do as well at that as I would have liked because O&M was a struggle and the teacher uh, didn't help. So that, that combination was not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, yeah. I really yeah. appreciate your, your openness there and, and really, you know, opening up about that stuff because it's not easy to, to sometimes talk about areas where we struggle. But the fact, the fact of the matter is that, of course, like we, we talk on this show a lot about being blind, how you really have to be aware of your surroundings and directions and all this. But at the same point, so many people aren't, best with directions if they can see so why would it be any different for blind people not everyone's naturally good with that stuff and and of course we we all as blind people hopefully if we're if we're lucky we do get training in these areas but that's not to say that we're all going to come in with with the same you know natural sort of skill in these areas and we all learned it you know none of us were were pros in the beginning with this stuff but it's it's an ongoing thing and i think a main thing that i like to try to always emphasize in the in the blindness community and in any community really is that we all have different skill sets and somebody might, you know, struggle a bit more with, with something like directions, but excel really well with, with social skills or with, you know, with Braille or whatever it may be. And I think yeah. we all have, we all do have different strengths and it's okay to admit that we, we struggle in a certain area and it's not to think that we're better or worse than someone else. We all have our own, you know, we're all different and we all learn differently and it's, it's, there's so many factors that go into it, but I do think mobility is one of the difficult ones and I kind of lucked out in a way just living in Toronto on my own for quite a few years after after high school that I kind of built it through that. But it still is a challenge to, to get out. And, and care. I know that it's something that you uh, think about a lot, too. And it's 
these skills we do need to learn, which is why we talk about them a lot on the show and how important they are. And I have no idea even now, I know it's not the best here in Canada for mobility and instructors. And I just don't know how yeah. kids yeah. are doing it these days because it's, you know, we were lucky to have it, Carrie and I, and it, it sounds like you've at least got some training growing up and something that you're still working really hard on. Yeah. When we talk about advocacy and you really sort of sharpen some of those skills advocating for yourself in college, it sounds like. But, you know, we talk all the time about how the pro, you know, the, the system here in Canada isn't very, it's not very well set up, especially for adults who still need a lot of help because, you know, life has its challenges. And for me, it was a lot of other health issues that slowed me down and, and got in the way. It wasn't just blindness, but for someone else, it's something else. And, you know, we hear about these training centers out of the U.S. who have these intensive programs that go on for months. I don't know how much familiarity you have with those, but, you know, do you think we need something more like that in Canada? I mean, these programs are, are complicated, but do you think that sort of thing could have helped you? Yes, I do. I, I really do. Uh, w. Ross gave me great training with the life skills. And the reason I didn't get ONM had nothing to do with a deficit of their training program. I did get once a week training. It, it It's me and I, also the way I was being taught maybe wasn't working for me. I would like, it would be great to have a training center. Like even now, if I had the time in my life, I would, you know, and, and the money and all that great stuff to be able to like um, go to one of the centers. I, I would love to go, even if just to get the O&M training. Uh, I feel like uh, the household training and stuff, I, I really got uh, good training and feel feel confident with that stuff, but you, you know, the O&M, I would love to be able to go to one of the centers uh, and work on O&M as one of the things that we do and just do it every day, you know, without having pressure, like of having to be somewhere specific, like going to work or going to school or something. If, if I just learned a route and, you know, could practice it every day and stuff that I, I, I know they do at the centers. Yeah. I would really like that. I wish, I, I know that they have Pacific training center. And I did reach out to the director there one uh, in the past, but unfortunately, um, you know, just because of funding and stuff, they didn't have the residential component at that time. I don't know if they do now. So uh, I, I was told that if I moved to BC or was able to arrange accommodation there, I could get some help with those yeah. things. And I, I just can't do that. It's, it's not financially feasible. So I, I can't move to BC, but yeah, I would love one of those training centers. Even if it's not the whole nine months, even if, whatever, however long they, they think I need, I, I would like to go there and uh, do this stuff every day. Yeah. And that's the thing is that they think, you know, we'll teach you this while you're in school. And then as when you're an adult, you're on your own. And I get that. But some things like this kind of depending on how much help you do need and how much maybe you struggle with certain things. It's a kind of thing you kind of need to keep going with through your adulthood, I feel like. And I think that there's not enough programs here in Canada everybody kind of passes the buck and it's, it, it leaves a lot of people uh, sort of on their own and then they just, they can't keep up with that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, so I don't think you're alone there. I don't know if part of it's low expectations, but it's also the way, what people are taught as, as instructors here, where often it was for me, and I assume maybe similar to you, where it was like, okay, here's, here's the route to this one place and then here you go, yeah. come here and back. And that's all you know. So to go anywhere else you don't really feel comfortable because you don't, you haven't been with a teacher first and you're not always going to have yeah. a teacher there every second when you're in a new place and you need to get somewhere. So it's the approach exactly. just seems like it was maybe not def necessarily the best, but 
where were they where were the instructors learning that from who you know what i mean there's so much that goes into it so i guess with our remaining minutes let's catch up to where you are as we said you're living on your own in sudbury and what is what was that adjustment like to you know find a place and and start in a new city and uh you know several hours away from from family yeah so that that was interesting uh i i originally uh, moved here due to a job and i i really uh like uh you know moving on my own before that i had never lived alone i had just moved uh like in university i had a roommate stuff like that but finding a place was fun so i um, got the experience with that i i made all the calls you know i uh had before my parents and i now i do have a lot of family support so i i really appreciate that and uh it it's part of you know what has made me really successful my family encouraged me and they also help you know when when necessary uh or, or i shouldn't say when necessary when i ask or when i require them they're here so pretty much it was uh i, I made all the calls uh we so then when i've had found a few places that i thought could um you know do, do well for me a one bedroom apartment that's what i was looking for and that's what i have now um i told my parents that i have a few places we drove to sudbury and i think it took twice of uh, com coming here and looking at places before i found one that i liked and that that was suitable so uh that part was fun it was i was really excited because when i moved back home after so i moved back home after university because I had some health issues, like I was getting sick all the time and stuff like that. And I, uh, why else did I? Oh, because of money. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah, the, that's the issue. That, yeah, because yeah, of money, I couldn't afford to live alone. So I, I moved back home and I started to lose some of the skills because, you know, uh, like I would, you know, mom would do the cooking and I, I didn't mind that. I was like, okay, you know, let, let her do it and stuff. So I, I started losing some of that confidence because it took about after 2015 uh, until 18 that I, I was like, oh, you know, I, uh, I, I'm back home now. And like, I got lazy. I pretty much got lazy. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. So I started losing the skills, both O&M and otherwise. And, and it was hard to cook in my mom's kitchen because as well-meaning as she is, you know, it's her kitchen and she uh, kept stuff where she kept it and all that. Like it was hard for me to find stuff and it was never put back in the same place and stuff like that. So it moving on my own gave me the liberation, you know, here I have my own kitchen, I have my own stove. I can, if I want to practice making something, I can. And, you know, if anything bad happens, it's just because like, you know, I did something wrong or made a mistake, but it won't, wouldn't be because of anyone else saying, do it this way, do it that way. But I was happy to move out. I really was, you know, I, I have a great family dynamic. It was great living at home, but I could not see myself doing it for the rest of my life. So I, I really worked worked hard to make that happen. Do you remember <laughs> kind of what that felt like? Because it's I lived with friends and stuff, and then about tw ten years ago now, I moved out. I lived here on my own, and I've been living on my own for ten years now. And I just remember that first night on my own. Like at first, it was kind of I was a little sad. Like oh, this is going to be kind of hard. This is the first time living by myself completely, and parents leaving that night. But after they'd left, and I was in my own place, I felt this like calm, like sort of freedom that I'd never felt before, even living with roommates where, you know, you're on your own, but you're still with people. So you, you kind of work around yeah. their schedules a little bit. Whereas when you're on your own, it's just that 
f- total freedom. And, and I don't know, like, I'm just kind of curious how, how it felt. So it, it felt great. It was very liberating to be able to, you know, have my own apartment. And, you know, luckily it's, it's everything that I, I wanted to be. The only thing that, you know, I, I wish I could have is a in-unit in unit, uh, washer and dryer. Uh, you know, I still go to do that in the communal thing downstairs in the basement, uh, which is fine. It, it works well, but, you know, everything else is pretty much my dream apartment, at least for me right now, uh, while I'm on my own. Um, I, I did start a relationship a couple of years ago, so, uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty serious now, you know, I, I see it going forward. So I, the next step is to, you know, figure out, uh, like, living arrangement for, for two people instead of just one. But right now, I'm, I'm very happy in my own place. It can be lonely sometimes, you know. I'm sure, you know, since, since I'm friend with, friends with both of you guys, you, you know, you know that I go to Toronto pretty often and stuff like that. And it's because I do get lonely here. Like, I, don't, I only know one person uh, really well that I've connected with over the last few years or two people, including one of my mom's friends. Uh, but that doesn't really count because she's, well, I shouldn't say that. She's a very nice lady and she's just not on my age. So I, I see her sometimes, you know, for a coffee or something. but. It's not the same as hanging out with people my age. So it can, as much as I love living on my own, you know, it can be lonely sometimes too. So I do try to get out of the city and go to Toronto and have a visit with my parents and my brother over there. Yeah, it sounds like you've got, you know, that you're pretty happy and adjusted where you are. And, you know, you um, you go out to eat on your own just because, you know, that's a good thing for people to try. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> uh, and you seem to enjoy doing that sometimes. But uh, yeah, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like you... Um, you love having your own space. And of course, culture, you know, a lot of cultures, people live in family units all their, all, you know, their lives, but it's not a strictly down the lines culture, different cultural thing. It's different people feel differently about that. And, um, but yeah, then you find somebody and you, so it sounds like you're sort of, uh, you know, thinking about moving into the next phase of your life with a, with a partner. And, and so I, I sounds like you're excited for what your future might bring, even though we, we, none of us know sometimes what that might look like. So. What are you looking forward to in the years ahead? Uh, that's a great question. I'm looking forward to, I hope to get married and, well, okay, first I, I hope to live with my, my partner. Actually, you know, if, if, if you don't mind me saying very briefly, he does live in the United States. Um, I was at the beginning not sure about a long distance relationship, but the reason I think this could work is because both of us have the means and the desire to actually make it work take it offline. Like he's actually, we're consulting with an immigration lawyer. He lives in Florida. Um, but the next step is, uh, he's looking at how feasible it would be for him to move over here to be with me. Um, we are that serious. He's a really wonderful person. Uh, and he's also blind. And I find that, uh, we relate really well. Really great. I think to end on that note about, you know, moving out on your own, like, as we all do live on our own here, all three of us. And, and then the fact now about, about a relationship, which it's something that we love. We want to talk more about on this show because, you know, it's like it's hard for anyone to meet someone, but then being blind, it poses its own challenges. And then sometimes I think it's more sometimes can be a little bit more common to find a long distance relationship because it is hard to meet people sometimes in your area. And that can be the case for anyone. But, you know, happy for, for you and that that's uh, all working out. And, uh, you know, best of luck to everything for you in the future. And uh, thanks so much, Victoria Francis, for coming on Outlook today. Thank you, Brian. I, I just wanted to say one other a very short thing. I never thought I could live on my own. Well, 
okay, I shouldn't say I didn't think I could. I just didn't know when it would happen or, you know, I was starting to feel stuck and I, I didn't know if I was capable. Like, like I said, I lost a lot of confidence just because of not practicing skills and stuff. Yeah, you so don't I keep thought, them up. It's hard to, to keep them. You know. Yeah, so I thought, you know, will I be able to like live on my own and maintain an apartment? And now that it's been uh, three and a half years, uh, it's, it's really going well. And I'm, I'm glad that I took the plunge. And I was nervous at first, sure. But I thought, you know, I, I don't want to live with parents forever. And, and heck, they, did, they didn't want to live with me forever either. <laughs> like they, you know, it was a mutual understanding that eventually I would move out and find my own place. And I, I have. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, so we, we do wish you the best and whatever is next for you. And thanks again for speaking with us today and being so open. And maybe we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much, Carrie and Brian. I, I appreciate the chance to talk to you and I loved it. Thank you. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.